belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for June 11, 2023 is called Toss Salad Church. The speaker is John Ray and the location is Vesper Point, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Well, good morning, everybody, again. <clears throat> My name is John Ray. Welcome to Grace Church. If you're watching on or listening on the... Oh, we got we got a video. Okay. If you're watching on Facebook or listening to the podcast, we are really glad that you are here with us this morning. If you have studied American history at all, you've come across the term melting pot to describe the integration of immigrants from all over the world into a uniquely American people. The first known use of this term is found way back in the writings of a former French nobleman turned colonial farmer named Hector St. John. In his essay, Letters to the American Farmer, he uses this term. It's there that he writes that the American, leaving behind all his ancient prejudices and manners, receives new ones from the new mode of life he has embraced, the government he obeys, and the new rank he holds. Here, individuals of all nations are melted into a new race of men, whose labors and posterity will one day cause great changes in the world. Now, we can argue for a good long while whether or not this melting of people together and exchanging one prejudice for another is a good thing. But what is beyond argument is how much this idea has guided the imagination of America, and I would say has overly guided the imagination of the church. In his book, The Fellowship of Difference, the author Scott McKnight argues that we should not think of the church as a melting pot, but so much more as a tossed salad. And the term we come across this week in our text is mixed multitude, which to me sounds much more like a tossed salad than a melting pot with that. So which is it? What are we supposed to be, church? Are we supposed to be a melting pot or a salad or something else altogether? Well, let's see what we can find. So here we are. In our study of Exodus, the people are moving, they're coming out, they're they're going out. They've been sent out by Pharaoh. He's finally released them to go. And we come to this verse in Exodus 12, verse 37. It says, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, plus their dependents. A mixed multitude also went up with them, and flocks and herds very large number of cattle. And this is something in my imagination of Exodus has been challenged during this study in particular, is I think we have this monolithic idea that it was only the Israelites who were leaving. But here it says something very different than that. It says there was this mixed multitude. And so we have to imagine if this is true, that this was not just Israelites, but there were also Egyptians in there with them, as well as slaves from other countries, because 
An empire runs on slavery, and usually that's not confined to just one people group, but to multiple groups. <clears throat> and we can imagine, it's not difficult to imagine the situation, that as after all these catastrophic events that have been inflicted upon the nation, that when the word came, hey, you're free to go, I mean, maybe you weren't even in Israelite, but at that moment you said, I am now. <laughs> I'm with them. And you got up and they went, not just Israelites, but this mixed multitude went. And what we see here is this idea, it's, it's hard to, to overestimate how powerful this is. And if you were with us at Pentecost a few weeks ago, understanding that that is the ultimate goal is that people from everywhere come. We see that portrayed here. And the kingdom of God is the ultimate place for the individual freedom from different places held in tension with gospel unity, which we're going to talk about. The church, we, the church, are to be this working test case or communal witness bearer to the kingdom of God. And we must always work towards the ultimate goal of individual freedom, diversity, within the context of a community, a gospel-based community. We, in a way, we're always in transition from this mixed multitude towards becoming this holy people. That God is forming out of, not melting together, but bringing together, knitting together, connecting together. People from every race, tongue, tribe, ethnic group, sexual orientation, gender, all of it blending together into one people. Like I said, this is a critical issue for us to understand, especially in this day of politically charged rhetoric that pits one group against the other, that declares supremacy of one group over the other. The gospel will have none of it. Even in Exodus, we see this stand against that kind of thinking. That is, the, that is the language of empire, not the language of the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is not about homogeneity, a uniform, monotone culture of sameness, but neither is it a random assortment of widely differing and disconnected individuals, each doing their own thing. It is something else entirely. And that's what we see encapsulated because if we, were to, if we were to somehow take the whole plot of Exodus and boil it down into a single sentence, I believe it would sound something like this. The plot of Exodus is the escape of the non-persons from empire into becoming the people of God. You see, empire represents the worst of human community. The force manipulation of individuals as to becoming a means unto an end. Forcing people into units. Means of production, cogs in a machine. Non-persons. We've heard this used in our political rhetoric as well. And this, this is for the purpose of benefiting a select few at the cost of the great many. That is what empire does with that is it, it, it creates this uniformity at one level for the benefit of the unique few individuals who control it. It all ends up in the same 
place. I, some of us have got to see the play Hades Town that was here recently at Walton Art Center, and and that's a lot of the storyline is that um, Hades, the god of the underworld, is selling people on the idea of, hey, this is how you become free. This is how you become powerful, but in truth, he is enslaving them. And they lose their individuality, just becoming cogs in the machine. Y'all, the enemy of empire is always Exodus. Exodus is the way out of empire. First Peter, this is this is echoed in the Gospels. And um, in the letter where First Peter writes to the people, he says, you were once not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Personhood is a mercy that God restores to us. Something that empire takes away abuses, distorts, monetizes, and weaponizes. God restores our personhood to us. In our exodus, we are given back our identity as image bearers, as having the Imago Dei paramount in our understanding of ourselves and others. This is the thing that transcends all other identities, is this identity of being a unique individual created in the image of God. And that is the mercy of God that is restores that to us when it has been taken away by the world. We have been lied to, abused, like I said, monetized and weaponized against each other for the benefit of the few. And God restores to us personhood, which does away with all that. It's difficult to underestimate the importance of this. This is, in a large part, of what I believe it means to be saved. When we talk about Jesus saved me, he saved me from non-personhood. He saved me from being just a unit for someone else's benefit. He saved me from just becoming a homogenous product to be bought and sold and then tossed away. And he gave me back my identity as beloved by God. Not for what I can do not for what I can produce, not because I'm a winner, but simply because of the love of God towards me. That's, that saved me. It is saving me, and it will save me in a very real sense. In our teaching meeting this week, Shannon talked about how this exodus encapsulated in the mixed multitude means that nobody was left behind. That the Israelites said, no, 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 you can't come with us. You're not part of our group. No. Everybody got to come. And they got to bring their whole self. They got to bring their whole self into this. They weren't demanded that they become part of Israel. Now we'll see. There is a progression where they become part of this kingdom group. But it is not a tribal identity, an ethnic identity, a racial identity, an economic identity. It's something bigger than that. God's kingdom is a universal movement that is antithetical. It's, an, it's a universal freedom movement that is antithetical to the empire, which is a universal oppression movement. 
no matter how much Empire promises security or safety or prosperity, it is always about oppression, or it always ends up in oppression. And that involves bringing along some people we might not choose. <laughs> it involves including those that we may have a very natural animosity towards. That we don't understand. We can't get it. We don't get it. We don't like it. It challenges us. It costs us things. But they're included too. Because this kingdom is a universal movement in that. But make no mistake, along with that, Exodus is never easy. Again, Shannon mentioned, how do we find commonality with our neighbor when we don't even speak the same language? How do we identify our true oppression? Well, we have to understand that the primary experience of oppression for the Israelites was not religious. Pharaoh, Pharaoh's oppression of the Israelites wasn't, uh, my God is better than your God, even though that's implied. It plays out in that way. But the oppression was primarily political, economic, structural. There was a very real oppression of being a slave beyond, hey, we don't like your God, or you need to pray to our God, or your God sucks, and our God doesn't. No, it was, you are a slave to us. We will monetize you, we will buy you, we will sell you, and then we will dispense you. And so the freedom came in very real terms, along with the religious, was the structural here. Wouldn't it be nice if we were known that way today as the American church, as a place where the beleaguered and overworked found rest, as a place where the people who were outcast and marginalized we're welcome. It can happen, y'all. Um, Laura included this incredible study by a professor named Perry Hamless. He was a Fulbright scholar and he was sent to South Korea where he personally witnessed the vitality of the Christian church in the global South. And listen to this. He reported the church is not perceived in South Korea as an instrument of oppression, but one of liberation. When South Korea was colonized by the Japanese in the, earliest 20th, in the early 20th century, the church aligned with the Koreans to protest. And, he, and he, this is what he quote, he's quoted as saying, Christianity was looked at not as a religion of empire and colonizers, but as a religion of the anti-colonial movement and a pro-democracy. Y'all, I, I don't know how many of you have South Korean friends. But the church there looks very different than it does here with that. Can you imagine if we were known as being the source and the ally of freedom for people rather than demanding our rights, claiming persecution? What a difference it would make. Well, how do we, how do we embody this? It's going to cost us. How do we embody this? I believe it starts with something that I've, I've talked about a lot at Grace, um, which is the active gospel imagination. We have to imagine it. 
We have to really be able to imagine it. And our imagination has to be fueled and, and guided by the gospel, by what we see Jesus doing in the gospels, by what we see the Spirit doing throughout all scripture. Because in this lone verse in Exodus, we see prefigured acts. Acts doesn't just start with Acts 1.1. Acts starts here with God setting people from all nations free and then joining them into one people. All of this is ultimately embodied and incarnated in the person of Jesus that we see. And that's why we can't separate Jesus from being part of the church and the church is being part of Jesus with that. We see it exampled in practical ways too, like I said, by our support of Canopy, of Accelerate Foundation, Cobblestone, Heart, the different things that we're involved in. These are working for very practical ways of giving people back their personhood. Not that it comes from us, but that it is being done and we're part of that. I want to ask the worship team to come back up now and ask you to consider this, that if the kingdom of God is the telos or the destination, the reason for Exodus, the church is to be a means of Exodus. The church is to be a means of Exodus. We're to be the ones who foster the kingdom imagination and bear witness to the kingdom of God among us. We're the ones who bring our full selves with all of our individuality, our unique gifts and callings into a community that rather than using us or demanding uniformity, instead focuses us, all of us together towards a unified vision of human flourishing and kingdom expression. The world would have us believe that there's a binary, that to be together, to be united, we all have to be exactly the same. And we can tolerate no deviation. Or everybody just gets to do whatever they want. Be whoever they want, claim whatever they want, live however they want. That's a false choice, y'all. That's a false binary. The kingdom of God is the sole thing that can focus humanity in all of its diversity, all of its individuality, all of its uniqueness towards a common goal. Our unity comes not that we're alike so much, is that we're looking in the same direction. We're going in the same direction. We're headed together with it. That's what we're to bear witness to and participate in as the church. Revelation 5 the prophet says they were singing a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were killed and the cost of your blood you have purchased from persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have appointed them as a kingdom of priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Y'all, that's a mighty big highfalutin language. But that's the vision. That's where we're headed towards. That's what we're called to do with this. Friends, the church, neither the church nor the kingdom of God is a melting pot. It is instead a mixed multitude. 
something much more akin to a tall salad, where we can imagine and move towards a place of the highest individual flourishing and expression in the context of a focused and unified community. This is a big part of why the church exists, why we meet here today and stay together in spite of all its challenges and cost. And I'm humbled and grateful to be doing this with all of y'all. So thanks for being here. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.